Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. This episode completes our four-part series on courage, excerpted from my course Embodied Values and Virtues. Today we explore the cake-and-eat-it-too dynamic, the necessity of diagnosing root causes, living paradigms all the way to their logical conclusion, the red herring of confidence, and finally, to wrap up the series, the punchline, get intimate with your fear. That's what courage is really about. I offer weekly member webcasts, online courses, and mentorship at clearandopen.com because it's my truth that with the right tools, anyone can eliminate the people, money, and time problems holding them back in business. And I share parts of these webcasts and courses on this show because I want to help you too. As I mentioned, this series is from the course entitled Embodied Values and Virtues, which you can find at courses.clearandopen.com. Thanks so much for listening. Let's start the show. The, the, the shadow in a human being, one of the hallmarks of, of the human shadow, is, it, is what I call the cake and eat it too dynamic. It wants a result without having to do something difficult. It's always looking for shortcuts. Is there a pill? Is there a ayahuasca weekend? Is there a, how can I get from A to B in the shortest possible distance? Now, what's good about that? That's efficiency. As uh, there's this old, says, uh, old uh, maxim that says, give a difficult task to a lazy person and they will find an easier way to do it. Yes, that's good. There's lots of good stuff. That's efficiency. That's what creates the ability to clean thousands of garments of clothes every day and actually still show a profit. Efficiency is brilliant. It's important. As adults, we want to fit stuff into a day, so we want to find the fastest way to do something. That's great. That's our adaptability. It's the most powerful thing human beings have. That's why we can live anywhere and talk right now in this technology. It's adaptability. It's amazing. The problem is when that need for efficiency and quick fixes gets applied in ways where it doesn't apply. Human transformation doesn't happen in a weekend or with a drug, but in the desire we have for efficiency, we don't realize that the agonal deconstruction of the false self is the only way to become who we essentially are, in my opinion. You don't have to believe that. So what the human shadow does reasonably is they've got a set of wounds from childhood and some difficulties and all that. Their frame for their healing journey is what's the fastest way I can make these symptoms go away. And of course, Western medicine is happy to oblige. Yes, we think the same way as you. Here's this bottle of pills. Try it out without actually stepping back and go, okay, well, that sounds like a good idea. Um, and you say you have all these studies and everything, but where does this, to use the previous example, ADD actually come from? Well, we don't really understand, but these pills will make the symptoms go away and you'll be able to, you know, study again and, you know, focus again. Yes, yes, but where does it come from? Because if you can think paradigmatically, see uh, the course called Paradigmatic Analysis, which is one of my favorite courses that 
Uh, I don't think many people really got what it was about, but that, that exists on the site. Um, if you can think paradigmatically, then you know and apply basic troubleshooting to, uh, to your own healing. If you don't understand the root cause, you won't have a solution. And this is something that we have, like, you know, if your toaster isn't working and, the, and you don't realize the power is out, you are going to waste a whole lot of time with that screwdriver, aren't you? <laughs> and in the toaster manual and on the internet looking up the toaster model, you, you're going to waste a whole lot of time. But it may seem in that moment like, well, the simplest solution here must be at the level of toaster. And sometimes you got to step back and go outside and realize that the whole block is out of power. Uh, and this is what, and we, we do this in troubleshooting every day. We think, what's the root problem? What's when your computer isn't working? When your cat is sick? You know, you want to know what's the root problem? What's the root problem? But when it comes to psycho spiritual issues, we don't do that. That's the problem in our entire species. We don't do that. Or we do that in ways that are um, dated, insufficient, or proven to not work. Uh, and this is what we talk about in uh, paradigmatic analysis, where you always want to ask the question, the courageous question, uh, what is the diagnosis of what the root problem is here, for example? And then go about solving that root problem as it's identified and see if it works. So like in Christianity, for example, there are 2 billion Christians in the world. What's the diagnosis of the fundamental problem in human beings? that causes all of our issues, according to that paradigm. Lack of faith. Yes, and that, that's the faith is the solution to a deeper problem, though. What's the original problem? That was sin. Original, original sin. sin. Right. The, that paradigm says, Adam and Eve, who are your ancestors, they sinned, went against the will of God, and then, then you inherited their morality. Pause for a moment on that one. You inherited their morality. What they did is somehow your responsibility. And then Jesus died for everyone's sins, including people who hadn't been born yet, somehow. And now you owe him. So your faith in Jesus absolves you of the original sin, and then everything will be okay. That's the model. Now, when I say it starkly, starkly like that, you can hear some of my cynicism, of course, but it is inarguable that that is their model, and that model has existed for 2,000 years. And many, many people have tried to use that model to absolve themselves of, of original sin and be saved, and then all their problems are supposed to disappear. If that appeals to you, go for it. See if it works. Take it all the way to the extreme. And if and when it doesn't, then you have to then say, well, you either have two options. You can say, I guess I'm not a good enough Christian. I don't have enough faith that hasn't worked yet. Or maybe original sin isn't actually the root problem. Maybe it's something else. See, that's it, paradigmatic thinking. Joseph, is, is it that they say that if you have the faith in Jesus that uh, I thought it's just that you'll go to heaven, not that everything is going to start working out for you on earth. Well, it's a little of both, isn't it? Yes. Uh, good, good point. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah, you'll go to heaven because here, where, where we are here is just sort of a pass through, but it's supposed to improve your life, even though heaven will never be here. 
heaven's somewhere else that you're investing in, um, you know, and get when you die. So that's, you know, that's sort of uh, the, that's the cop out is like, okay, well, you have faith, but you still have all these problems. Well, continue to have faith and you'll be rewarded for all this difficulty. Well, that's clever. Then certain kinds of difficulty never have to go away because it's just life is hard and, you know, life sucks and don't worry, you're going to get into heaven because you've bought your golden ticket. Clever marketing, isn't it? Of course, Jesus didn't talk about heaven being somewhere else. In uh, Gospel according to St. Thomas, he said, the kingdom of heaven is spread upon the earth and men do not see it. He never talked about heaven as being somewhere else. He said it's right here. So when the organization of Christianity failed to deliver that experience to people, which is what Jesus talked about, then they made up a heaven that's somewhere else, somewhere else, so that uh, you could continue paying your subscription fees. Very clever. Western medicine does something very similar, doesn't it? You know, just take these pills and talk to this person and, well, you know, life is hard. They reframe what healing is. So, um, yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit more about courage because uh, we've only talked about it uh, a little bit so far. I love these questions, though. They, they tell me how deeply you're taking this in. Um... So looking at my notes here, my key points I want to talk about. Uh, so one thing I want to talk about is confidence, because courage is often associated with confidence and related to the craving of fearlessness that we have, the shadow has, is we crave confidence. People often will come to me and say, how do I get more confident about this? I lack confidence and I struggle with confidence, that kind of thing. Uh, and unfortunately, what I would say is it's completely the wrong question. Confidence is downstream of competence with a P. And competence comes as a result of courage. First comes courage. Then you, that gives you the ability to do something that you're not good at or afraid of for whatever reason. And then you practice. And then you become competent. And then you become confident. But here's what people want. They reverse the whole thing. They want the confidence first so that they're not afraid, so that they can be courageous, so that they can practice the thing and become competent at it. You see that? That's exactly how 90, 99% of the world is stuck in mediocrity. They're waiting around to have the confidence to do it. Well, when you learned to ride a bike, were you confident? <laughs> Was anybody confident? I still remember the color of the bike, exactly the kind of day it was. It was a fall day. I was terrified. And what does your parent do? You remember that moment? You know, they've got the holding the back of the seat and you're riding and you, you're really sure they're right there and you look behind you and they're gone. And then you peel out and crash, hopefully, on the grass. It's terrifying. And then, you know, several weeks later, you're competent. Are you confident on that bike? No, you still fall sometimes. But then you become eventually, after falling enough times, you become confident as a result of first being courageous, doing what you're afraid of, then practicing even though you can't do it all the time, and then you become confident. So confident, confidence is entirely derivative. It is not for seeking, ever. Only the shadow seeks confidence as a self-image or as a bolster against fear. There's nothing productive about trying to be confident. 
Joseph, this brings up for me the four levels of competence that Mm -hmm. I teach all the time, right? The unconsciously incompetent, consciously uh, incompetent, consciously competent, and then unconsciously competent that will then lead to confidence. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you have to flounder. And it's it's too bad, like, you know, as children, we, we do this so much. I mean, remember, like, learning to write script on the stupid green paper with the dotted line? I hated that. Remember how hard it was, like, learning to do a cursive Z or a Q? It's like, if you gave that to an adult now, that kind of work, they would just be frustrated and upset. But as kids, we, they just hand it to us, and you just suck at it for hours, don't you? And you just keep going and keep going and keep going and you memorize multipli- multiplication tables. And you do all sorts of stuff. But if you look at the typical adult life, where are they doing stuff like that that regularly goes out of their comfort zone and requires them to go face to face into, oh, I suck at this, I suck at this, I suck at this. Most adults avoid that like the plague. And it's reasonable in one way, because as adults, you know, you're not going to make money doing what you suck at, you know, full time. Definitely don't try that. And there's practical things like, you know, if you suck at working on your car, don't work on your car. That's a bad idea. So it's practical being an adult. But there's also we need to have domains in our life where we're pushing ourselves uh, into the unknown and being courageous or else you stop growing. And that's what happens for most adults. We get very comfortable and we stop growing, we stop learning. Whereas actually we could be learning nearly as quickly as children for the rest of our lives. So sometimes, especially with Enneagram 3s, I'll give people the assignment of picking up some hobby that they have no natural talent at, that they're not good at, just so that they're working that edge. You know, something that they want to do, but um, something that is not in their domain of expertise that requires regular courage, regular out of comfort zoneness, so that they can work that edge. Especially if you're someone who is asking your people, like if you have employees or if you have clients, if you're asking them to go out of your comfort zone and you're running into walls a lot, ask yourself, do I do that? And if so, how? Maybe, maybe you forgot what it's like to, um, uh, to, to do that. That's why uh, as, as long as I coach, I've always had a coach slash therapist slash spiritual teacher. I've always had and continue to have someone who's doing with me what I'm doing with people. And it keeps me really connected to what it's like for people that I'm working with. Otherwise, you end up on this high horse of like, I know everything and poor you, you're so clueless. You know, you want to stay connected to how hard it is you're asking the people uh, to do so that you can empathize and be like, yeah, I know this is hard. I know it's scary. You can do it. Parentheses. I'm doing it too. We're in this together in one way. Goes back to what I was saying before: is you can't criticize people for doing what you don't do. So if there's someone in your life that triggers you or annoys you because they're not being courageous enough, integrity means you look at where are you not being courageous? Is there an analog? Is it trying to teach you something? It may not, but always look there first. Hey, Questions so, about this? Go ahead. Question on that. So if you're going from competence to confidence to cur- cur- or courageous, it would be first, right? And then competence to confident. Where does crazy Courage. fit in there? Ah, 
Depends on how crazy, uh, what what uh, you mean by crazy. Well, I mean, if you use uh, the analogy of riding the bike, right? What about the kids that make the ramp and put their brother at the edge of it and try to jump over? <laughs> you know what I mean? Is that, I mean, but there is that notion, right? Where people push it so far, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, courage for its own sake. Oh, yeah. Well, let me put it this way. Fear does have a purpose. So if you stand at the edge of an eight-lane highway at rush hour and you feel fear, that does not necessarily mean there's a reason to cross it. So, uh, and this actually leads me to a, a good point that I wanted to get to, and, and this will be our, our the, the last point for today. You want to get intimate with fear. That's the opposite of pushing it away. It's not definitely not about pushing it away and trying to be fearless, but it's also not just about acknowledging it and allowing it to be there, which is better, but still not enough. Because what ought to happen when we're children with the perfect parents none of us had, what's supposed to happen is the, the feeling space that they're, when they're with us completely with our fear, that's a kind of intimacy. They're feeling, and whatever is hurt and anxiety could be anything, but we're talking about fear. We're supposed to have the experience that our parent can be intimate and connected with what we're feeling. To the degree that doesn't happen, we are unintimate with our emotions. We keep them at some distance, and then they can't digest in us. So when you feel a fear, the ideal, the ideal is to get intimate with it, feel it all the way, get curious about it. What color is it? What shape is it? What is the voice does it have? What's the biggest fear actually here? What's the worst thing that could happen? You go into it. You go with it. You explore it every square inch of it. And then that's what makes the fear mm, dissolve. Or it doesn't, and you realize, you know what? I don't want to cross this eight-lane highway because I think that fear is reasonable. But you only can get to that by getting intimate with it. So fear is a teacher. It's information. It's it, there's so much there to explore, and um, we have another C word here that will allow you to do that. That's curiosity. To be curious about your own emotions, especially fear, because that's where your parents lacked. They weren't curious enough. They weren't able to go into your experience. So we as adults have to complete that on our own by, by reparenting ourselves and getting very intimate with whatever that fear is. And um, for example, in Zen, and there's lots of fears all over the place, but Zen is a very pure example of it. The process of awakening in the Zen tradition is about, the way I look at it, it's about healing the fear of not being. It's not about relaxing or whatever. Enlightenment is, is the healing of the fear of non-existing because real meditation is about trying to find the meditator and discovering that it cannot be found. The real Zen path puts you face to face with the terror of not just death this life, but the permanent cessation of your own consciousness. It's terrifying. You actually feel the, your fear of death again and again and again. You digest it one moment at a time again and again and again until you actually experience the true nature of the aspect of you that cannot be destroyed. And when you realize that that's you, that's enlightenment. 
you earn your way to that by exposing yourself again and again and again to the fear of death. Now, most Zen teachers do not talk about it this way. Wouldn't sell so well, would it? <laughs> Instead, they sell bliss and freedom and liberation, and they don't tell you that once you get a good ways into it, you're very likely to, start to begin to experience terror. But that's actually how it is. So what happens is, by not leading with that's what this is about, you have millions of people around the world meditating as a way of achieving a state and making themselves feel better. They are not meditating. They're doing a derivative, dumbed-down, stepped-on version of meditation that will never lead to awakening. See the course I did called Meditation for Awakening that recasts what meditation is all, all about. It's about getting intimate with a very specific fear, the fear of death. And that's what makes you incredibly powerful. And, and so there are sort of archetypal fears like that that we all have that when we face them um, will result in uh, enormous amounts of power, insight, um, yeah, all sorts of stuff. You know, all the stuff that you want, which is at the other end of your fear. So get intimate with your fear. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you, because businesses grow when people do. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.